0: Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to Season 3 of The Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world, and read my latest articles, or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Agile M&A, applying iterative processes and systems in place in order to better ensure the success of a merger or acquisition. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Chris von Bogdandy, uh, Senior Director at Slalom. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Greg. Why don't you uh, start out off a little bit by describing
1: what you do at Slalom? I focus on M&A, and I focus supporting our clients from pretty much the time that the financial due diligence is done. The deal is not yet announced. And uh, um, so I'm, I'm focusing on the uh, operational due diligence piece, uh, integration planning, and then I take our clients through uh, day one of the acquisition all the way through the um, when the integration is done, so I, I'm uh, building out a team for that, and uh, um, yeah, all aspects of the integration, whether it's the technology piece, or it's setting up the central integration management office (IMO), or uh, supporting other functions like sales and marketing or finance. Great. Well,
0: yeah, look at, looking forward to talking through this. Uh, let's let's start off by defining what we mean by agile M and A. So, how how would you define it? So.
1: I'm going a little bit outside of the uh, traditional definition of uh, Agile, like Scram Agile, et cetera. Sure, sure. So for me, integration is an iterative process where on day one of the close of the integration, uh, you may want to start taking orders of uh, um, from the acquired company customers in the system of the acquiring company. So how do you do that? Do you... At that point, the systems are not fully integrated yet, so you have to figure out like an interim solution where you uh, um, create like an interim deal desk, for example. So, so you're basically creating interim operating models, and then you iterate on these operating models in order to drive efficiencies and until you finally land on um, the, uh, for example, the integrate uh, the uh, company is fully integrated and in everything. Runs in one system in one process and is being executed by one team. So there are many different operating models in between, and I call that an agile approach because you basically you 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 go with an MVP with a minimal viable product uh, uh, solution, and then you iterate on that, and you have to roll this out in a um, in a very agile fashion. I've
0: been on both sides of this process, having a company acquired as well as acquiring other companies so I have my own set of answers to this question I'm about to ask but um, why is it important from your perspective to adopt these agile principles you know from the very start like what's what what are some of the benefits to be gained in, in an M a scenario
1: so m a is is somewhat different than like a normal it's compared it to a system deployment where uh, you are working on, for example, upgrading your ERP system, your Oracle system, for example, and you are uh, setting a go-live date when the new system is live. And you can, um, and the project has the luxury, in uh, quotations, to, to work backwards from this go-live date. Uh, with M&A, there is a, a day one date that is basically driven by, uh, uh, by the deal itself. And then on that day one, everything changes. Uh, You have uh, accountability for the acquired company's employees, and uh, you have uh, also the the risks that are associated uh, that are coming with uh, with that acquisition. So for example, the acquired company may not be at the same level of cybersecurity as you are. Very often they are not because they're usually smaller companies that don't have the same level of resources that they can dedicate to it. So on day one, you let's stay with, uh, with the uh, security aspects. Uh, on day one, you need to make a call on how do you secure the organization? And you don't have the luxury to just push the state out like an Oracle implementation, if you are not quite there yet from your solution perspective, right? Day one happens and, these, uh, uh, and, and all these business requirements become real and you have to meet them.
0: Why do you think this, way of thinking is is overlooked in the in the M&A process even by I mean you've been you know you've worked with technology companies and and companies that adopt agile whether it's you know what I call big a agile or or just you know agility in general you know they may adopt that in to your point in their software development processes or or other processes why do you think they overlook it in M&A what's 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 kind of missing
1: what I see quite often is that the people that are leading um, acquisition integration, they were really good program managers, for example, before, let's stay with, with uh, that capability. And they are focusing on, on the implementation of a new capability, right? Of, of the implementation of an Oracle or a system, or right? And their focus is go-live. And uh, as long as the go-live goes well and people are trained, they are happy. An integration management office. Foc- yes, they focus on goal life and focus on the implementation of capabilities. So, for example, the acquired company's employees are capable to sign up on the benefits of the acquiring company online. Right? That's an implementation yeah. of a capability. But the IMO g- goes one step further because the IMO is really focused on the realization of the deal thesis, which articulates why did this acquisition happen. Right. So if the yeah. if the deal thesis, for example, is about uh, all about taking a technology of an acquired company and adding this to the technology portfolio of the acquiring company and penetrating a certain customer segment or a certain region, the, the IMO's job is to focus on that and, and just do everything possible to make that happen. So there quite often there's a lot of uh, um, improvisation, bubble gum and duct tape associated with that, where um, the systems are usually not fully integrated at the beginning. It takes a little while, so you have to figure out, you know, how do we do this? How do we get like an an Excel spreadsheet in the middle? How do we get people uh, around the problem in in order to make sure that we activate the sales team really, really quickly, that they can start selling this product? Because the, the sooner the revenue curve goes up and the business value is there, the sooner you will hit this deal thesis. So again, from a from a classical perspective, uh, uh, the focus very often is the go-live date and the implementation of the capability versus in, in M&A, it is really about the value realization out of the deal and uh, and it becomes very, very visible very quickly if that is not there and uh, are people starting swirling and I've got a couple of examples that I can go through.
0: Yeah, I'd love to, I, I think diving into a couple of examples would be great. It's, I know we talked about it um as we were prepping for this show about a a couple examples in in your career and your your work if you don't mind sharing um just kind of uh, to give a a a better understanding that would be great
1: yeah sure so um when i was at semantic i was leading uh, it demand management for a while and uh, we were looking at desktop video conferencing and uh uh, we had an a large rfp out um at the time for um for desktop video conferencing the uh, the cameras and everything that that goes into it i mean that was that was before every single computer had a camera built into it so um so we had a couple of vendors um, that were proposing on the rfp it was somewhere in the three to five million dollar range and uh um And during the RFP process, two of these uh, two of these bidding vendors that were responding to our RFP uh, merged or one acquired another one, I would say. And uh, um, so I I called the the sales rep of the uh, um, acquiring company and said, Hey, I saw that you just acquired your competition. Can you tell me what that means for the uh, proposal that you gave me? Is this going to change the pricing? Am I able to get your camera with the uh, service package of the other company, for example? And he said, I don't know yet. The product roadmap is still in development. And uh, um, oh, and he yeah. said, just, just call me back in a week. And I called him back a week later. I called him back it, uh, three weeks. I gave them basically three weeks. And then we were leaning towards that company. But the contract went to another vendor because I just didn't know how that company would bring those two technologies together and yeah. and i wasn't willing to put my neck on the line against uh, um uh, for my for my cio to uh, uh, to to just trust them and say okay this is this is going to happen and and we will take care of you so so rather than creating an MVP around, you know, this is, this is how our sales organization can communicate specifically how we bring these, co- these technologies together. They just punted this all the way down the road. And there was basically no messaging around the integrated product roadmap. And uh, uh, I was just one example, and I'm sure that they lost millions and millions of dollars in the marketplace because uh, of all these RFPs that were out there for vi- desktop video conferencing that uh, uh, that went soft because the messaging wasn't there. There was no messaging. Um, yeah,
0: and that's that's so counterintuitive because I mean you know one of the main metrics of MA is how you know value realization and as quickly as possible, right? So yeah, I mean how um, how might they have done something differently? I guess in a, in a in a better
1: world. Right. So I see a lot of companies. So so in I've. I've been in M&A for twenty years now. I see some deal thesis that that are on the back back of a napkin, yeah. and uh, I understand how that uh, comes to be when sometimes um, deals fall out of exclusivity when the uh, uh, a definitive agreement, for example, is uh, um, ended, and then the the target company can go out and and they have a purchase price from the uh, from the uh, uh, other company in mind, right? So, so they can, they can basically go out and shop around and say, hey, uh, this company wants to pay X for us. Do you want to, pl- do you want to play, uh, pay X plus Y? But you only have one week to put the deal together. I've seen this happen for multi-billion-dollar deals, where uh, uh, you don't basically don't have time to put a fully baked uh, deal thesis together, which includes how how the products are being integrated and how the go-to-market motions are supposed to happen right what are you going to give to the channel what are you giving to your direct sales organization what do you want to drive through your e-commerce platform etc however i see a trend where the deal thesis are much more nuanced and much more holistic um, where these type of uh, decisions are made on on how certain products are coming together and how certain products are being bundled into solutions and being pushed into the market. So, so prior to close that messaging should be ready to roll. And, uh, um, and then again, in a, in a true agile fashion, you, you, you start sending it out and you start iterating and fine tuning it based on your audiences and the feedback that you are getting from, uh, from the ground, which is the second core piece that I want to, um, underline is, um, for MA, you need very short feedback loops on how things are going i call them listening posts so if you adjust so for example listening post uh what is the pipeline velocity of the company that you want to acquire is the pipeline velocity slowing down some of that slowdown you could expect but is it slowing down too much another listening post is uh, um, do a round of interviews with your leaders for your key customers and, and see how they are actually uh, viewing this, uh, this this acquisition. So you don't send one direction communication to them and explain to them how great that acquisition is, but you are actually meeting with them and talking to them proactively and don't wait for the customer to pick up the phone and, and uh, call their sales rep. Other listening posts are the employees. There are surveys that you can launch. There are uh, things like uh, change agent networks that you can start. There are a whole bunch of things, but without these listening posts, you don't know how the solutions that you're putting in place, how you have to fine tune them, and where you have to focus.
0: Yeah, I I love that that listening post concept. I mean, do you think that? I mean, again, going back to certain teams may be a little more okay with this iterative and and agile process. And you know, I would imagine the the finance teams and 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 ops teams may be a, a bit more risk averse and. And things like that. So agility may, um, I guess, a misperception of agility may may um, you know cause some red flags or whatever. But I mean, do you see that overall, like if an organization is generally embracing agile, and again, not just in, in IT, but more you know more holistically, do are they more open to this concept, or you know what what are kind of the what are the signs of okay this is this is going to go more smoothly than than not you know within an organization
1: um are you talking about more smoothly the um the execution of agile principles or the integration overall um good good question i i would say the integration the integration again it comes down to uh, what are your listening posts um yeah. there there are there are three types of listening posts that, that I usually develop for acquisitions at the first one. Uh, uh, um, or met- let's let's talk about metrics, right? So metrics are associated with listing posts. Um, th- at the first level, you have uh, milestone metrics where, for example, you have day one. And on day one, you want everybody of the acquired company to be in the HR system of the acquiring company. That's kind of a yes and no thing, right? So yeah. can you can you hit this or not? It's, it's good old project management on scope right. and on time and on budget, right? Things that you're measuring there. At the next level, you have operational metrics that are um, more related to like, uh, uh, for, for example, uh, uh, employee satisfaction, uh, survey results. Um, if you do net promoter score, you may have net promoter scores that you're collecting from your customers and from your partners. Um, usually I find the, uh, um, the 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 metrics that the company uses can be leveraged but are not uh, uh, short enough so you can't wait for the next quarter's NPR results in order to see that your integration is going down the drain right and then you're already one quarter in and it's too late Um, so these are operational metrics operational metrics may also be for example meeting velocity of your sales organization Um, It can be pipeline velocity, etc. And then at the third level, you've got the financial results. Um, Do you see the better together deals, which are deals where you're selling something from the acquired company and the acquiring company together uh, as a bundle or cross sell uh, um, financial metrics where you're selling something from the acquiring company into the acquired company customer base and vice versa. So, so those are those are kind of metrics from a financial perspective that you really want to hit. Um, I don't see a lot of appetite these days, at least for my clients, on cost reduction. But uh, I know that in other in other, I work mostly with uh, uh, with tech and healthcare, life science. So, so cost is not really a big issue. But uh, um, but in my in my past working with other type of industries like retail or, or manufacturing, uh, cost is a big topic. So so you know, Mm -hmm. how long does it take to get out of a facility and close down your rental contracts or or close down certain retail locations. So these are these are certain cost things that you that you want to track. So so there are three levels and you need and you need listings posts to all uh, all of those three levels. And that really enables uh, enables you and gives you visibility into um, into where where do you need to be agile and where do you need to uh, uh, to start? defining solutions and implementing solutions and iterating on your solutions until you get to your final operating model
0: have you seen any impacts uh, over the last year as far as activity or just um, how m;A is being approached I mean this uh, I'll, I'll, it's kind of an open-ended question but you know anything mm-hmm. from just the concept of remote work being a lot more um, a lot more uh, accepted, or you know, have you have you seen any immediate impacts in in M and A activity or the decisions being made or anything like that?
1: I see a big shift towards um, uh, focusing on the people part. Uh, yep. Change management is becoming huge. If you if you look at uh, the Fortune 500 in the 1980s and 1990s, 80 percent of the valuation were based on tangible assets, machinery, factories. Of, I don't know, airplanes, things like that. Yeah. Today, over eighty percent of the valuation of Fortune 500 companies inter- intellectual property. Intellectual property is much more people dependent. Uh, IP, uh, sorry, intangible assets. So intangible assets are more related to uh, uh, to people. It's it's international uh, intellectual property. It's it's brand. It's customer relationships, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so in, in the deal world. There's more and more focus on reducing unwanted turnover and improving productivity of the uh, acquired company's employees. So uh, there's an average turnover of 33% of acquired companies' employees, uh, which is a huge loss. Um, yeah. And there are, there are several factors leading to that, so I see a lot of my clients now really indexing very heavily towards uh, what are the things that we need to do in order to keep the people that we have acquired.
0: Well, um, one last question before we wrap up here, uh, for those companies that are anticipating m and activity in the near future, what advice would you have for them to kind of get their houses in order or, or prep to, to be able to take a more agile approach?
1: If you uh, look at your corporate strategy and think about what percentage of your growth is coming from inorganic growth and then take a good look at your operation and say, is my operation ready for this? Because very often organizations grow organically and they grow organically around the, uh, um, uh, the business objectives that they, that they currently have. So if they, they, it, is, it is not in the DNA of, of operating leaders if they are not accustomed to uh, m and to get their operation ready for m and Uh, For example, uh, one of my clients has 250,000 SKUs and uh, uh, they have basically only 12 products. And they have so many SKUs because the way that they are driving their SKU structure is around their sales model, the way they're bundling, uh, different pricing models, et cetera, et cetera. So when they acquire a new company and they come in with a new product, it takes them over half a year to add a new SKU. And that gates the ability for the sales organization and the partner organization to actually sell it. So, so the first thing is figure out where, where are the friction points in your organization that will accelerate or delay your, uh, your M&A growth and then do something about it. For example, you may start a project that says, OK, our SKU structure, we have to fix that, or our data, uh, uh, the way that we treat data, uh, um, even customer data, you know, we have to fix this. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, start building de- uh, um, relationships with companies that you are in te- uh, the type of companies that you want to acquire. So you start understanding how they actually operate. There are partnership models that you can do. The corporate development folks, they usually know really well how to do this. And it really enables you to better understand the operating model of the other companies. So you can anticipate, again, as you're bringing them in, how would we accelerate the value realization? Because the best integrations that i have done were with companies that already in the past had a lot of touch points and already had a very good understanding of the mutual operating models Uh, the third thing is from from an from an agile perspective and uh, um, look at when you when you're forming an uh, integration management office the people that are going to run this it is really helpful if they have an agile background and understand how to how to drive the value of the of the acquisition, so the uh, uh, the deal thesis, rather than uh, just implementing and installing a capability in the organization, like a uh, like an ERP or or, uh, um, or, or a new uh, uh, workday uh, implementation. So so those those are the three things that I would that I suggest to my clients. That they can do in order to improve their capacity for inorganic growth.
0: Well, uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Oh,
1: I'm uh, um, I'm quite active at uh, on LinkedIn. So if you just look at me, uh, look me up on LinkedIn, uh, you can find me there. Uh, I post articles there. I also I'm uh, part of the M&A Academy in Chicago, and uh, I'm I'm presenting there, or just uh, hit me up at uh, at slalom.com. That's my email address.
0: Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Chris von Bogdandy, uh, Senior Director at Slalom, for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce from my website at theagile.world.